Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. My guest today is someone who I have known for a couple of years, who's been in the game industry for decades. And uh, it's, he's got a, a good brand out there. You've probably heard about him. And I wanted to invite him, James Ernest. James, thanks for joining me on the show. Hi, I like the way you said decades. Decades, right? Every day I wake up and something makes me feel old. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you. I'm glad I was a part of that this morning. <laughs> what, how long have you been in the game industry? Uh, in the game industry since 1993, uh, I was a hobbyist board game inventor slash professional juggler, actually, at the time. And I uh, had some friends who worked at Wizards of the Coast. We got involved when they were fundraising for Magic, when they were actually just selling stock to raise money to print Magic the Gathering. Um, worked for them as a freelancer, worked for them as a, uh, an internal um, artist. And 96 was when I launched Cheap Ass Games because I had sort of I had sort of seen game design and publishing as, as a business opportunity and really wanted to do it. And I had a bunch of games that I knew nobody else would buy, so I just started making them myself. Well, you made them yourself, but then you made a brand that has carried now for the last 25, 20- Four, 25 years, whatever, that people really know that brand, Cheap-Ass Games. I, I mean, I have memories of walking into game stores and picking up a copy of Cheap-Ass Games just because I could Im- immediately recognize it, right? Right, and we have a sort of a weird challenge. We, we, we really had to do a lot of soul-searching in keeping that name when we relaunched through Kickstarter because now our games, at least the ones that we sell on Kickstarter, are pretty nice-looking, and they're not all that cheap, but... <laughs> But the brand has such you know value that we're like, well, all right, we'll do what we can. Now, we have done a couple of other imprints. Recently, there's a James Ernest Games logo on TAC because it's absolutely not a cheap-ass game. And uh, I think we're going to be switching some of our high-end games to just a James Ernest Games brand. But, but that cheap-ass games, is, you're right. It's, it's well-known. It's pretty strong, and it's hard to let go of. It is hard to let go of. And even, yes, when you look at it, you, just, you know there's a certain element of what you're going to get from that. And now you're right. You're not dealing with cheap ass components, cheap ass artwork. Cheap. No, it's a it's a it's a good quality game that's come forth. And no, I mean we we sort of keep the flag uh, up by offering a lot of our older products absolutely free. So if you really are on a budget, like our you know our sort of old our old mentality was black and white games, no spare parts, get them really cheap. You know, uh, Ziploc bag. Yeah, um, but now we're just like well. Actually, producing those in black and white is no longer any cheaper than producing them in color. And so even if I wanted to start the 1996 version of Cheap-Ass Games today, I probably couldn't do it. Kickstarter helps, helps us do something totally different, which is we, we still, we're still cheap because we raise our money before we print the games. But uh, in this case, we raise enough money to make them look nice, so we, we do that. Uh, that- the and that's why yeah. you're here. We're here to talk about because you have a Kickstarter campaign that is launching – um, this week, it is launching. It's called Button Men. Right. It is your 10th Kickstarter campaign. So now, yeah, you've been, you've been doing this now for a while and, and seem to have gotten into the groove about it. Tell us a little bit about we, Button Men. Uh, Button Men is a dice game that was originally published in 1999. It's a very simple dice game. Two characters, five dice each, taking turns capturing each other's dice. Um, and it's a strategy game because you only roll your dice after you make attacks with them. So you know what you're looking at. The numbers are on in play. And you're not only doing arithmetic to figure out what you can capture now, but you're also looking ahead to figure out what dice you can protect and what dice you can make vulnerable of the other player and so on. It's, 
it, for a game with only nine turns, it's really lovely and strategic. And it's, it's one of many games that we have sort of brought back from the grave. Uh, and in this case, we really kind of haven't changed any of the core rules. The new set has all new characters, of course, but, uh, but this game was pretty solid and we didn't mess with it. What have you changed about it? Um, well, only things that, that pertain to the contents of the new starter set. So first of all, we made it a lot cheaper. So in, in keeping with the cheap as games name, we have actually managed to make one of our old products cheaper because we used to sell button men on pin back buttons. They were about in today's dollars, they were about $3 each for each character. And now we're doing them on trading cards. So they're like, whatever, 10 cents or 20 cents, whatever they're, they're super, super cheap. It means we can do a whole starter pack of like 48 characters and all the dice they need to play for $35. And we can continue, if this is successful, to do expansions that are just decks of cards. And those expansions, are you anticipating expansions going into retail, buy them off the website? How would you get those expansions, all of them through Kickstarter? Well, we certainly are not going to add a bunch through Kickstarter. I say certainly because I'm trying not to like you know lard my campaign up with extra stuff I wasn't planning for. But in, we would probably try to sell these decks of cards through retail, I don't know if retailers are going to pick them up, but I, we hope that they will. We hope the core set does well enough that that happens. But we have so many other outlets for trading cards. People can obviously just, just print and play them their own selves. drive through cards already carries a sort of make-your-own-button-men template. Got it. Um, we could put those expansions up on drive through cards if people wanted to, to be able to print them that way. There's a lot of opportunities there, and no matter how we slice it, they're so much cheaper than buttons. We are also looking at making the characters available as buttons people who like to wear them people who like to own them in that more sort of tangible form but um but the cards are a much cheaper way to learn the game you're you're doing your 10th kickstarter campaign as you go into this um you've been doing this now i think what did we say 2012 was the when you first launched your first kickstarter campaign yeah i had a, a hiatus from publishing for a few years and and kickstarter looked appealing to me so i came back and and started doing cheap ass full time again in 2012. That was with Unexploded Cow, and that was another reprint of ours. It was a game that we had not managed to find a licensing partner for it, so it was sort of ready to go, but no one was picking it up. And and we started with Unexploded Cow. Uh, we did Deadwood. We did uh, a new card game called Get Lucky. We did we've we done like you said ten. Uh, this will be our tenth, and so far it's working. So far, it is working because one of the things that you just mentioned is that the the company is growing. You've hired a couple of people that uh, you're doing this full time. Uh, I certainly am doing it full time. Uh, my wife Carol works for me now full time, and or uh, perhaps I work for her. And then we have a, a marketing director, Cassidy Werner, who came on last year during the TAC campaign, and and uh, yeah, and we have some you know freelancers and so on too. But but we're we're technically three full timers. As you got ready for this campaign, anything different that's happening now? Anything um, Because now with 10, 5 years, Kickstarter's changed so much. The board game industry has changed so much. You've been in it for such a long time. You're watching all of this. Kind of the old guard that's made the successful leap into the, the new age of uh, Kickstarter. As this one has come live, what's the experience been like? Is it something – is it is becoming common? Is it still a novelty? I don't know enough to talk about the state of the industry, but I can tell you that I, I am in setting this one up. I've done it so many times now that it went a little too easy. I'm, I'm a little uneasy that I missed something or I forgot something. So I've been going over my spreadsheets again saying, you know, what columns are missing from this one that I used to have in the old ones and, and just sort of second-guessing everything because I have done it many times. And our last campaign, 
was the complete opposite of this. Tack was a really big project, and it required a lot of groundwork and a lot of sweating and a lot of nail biting and a lot of building the boat in the water. And button men is some cards and some dice in a box. And I, I really deeply know how to make that. <laughs> <laughs> You've been doing that for a long time, that's for sure. Yeah. So let's see. If we had some advice that we wanted to give some of these young people who are coming out, um, and I, I hate to use that term, I guess, but I, I look at the two of us and we're, we're a little bit on the older side. If you, if you take some people, first-time game designer, first-time publisher, this is what they're putting together. What are we seeing that that maybe there's some gotchas out there, some things that they don't know that they should be aware about? I, I think the, it's a whole world of gotchas. I, I think um, Kickstarter makes it easy to raise money, but it doesn't make it easy to run a business. And um, I think it's easy to come to this and say, uh, I'm going to make a game and I'm just going to try to print it for slightly less than I'm going to sell it for and everything's going to be great. And that's just not a business plan. I, I don't I don't know in individuals, but I know that when I talk to panels of aspiring publishers at conventions, the the biggest issue seems to be they don't know how much overhead they're looking at. They don't really have a business plan. They they don't. Um, they, I don't know. I mean, there's so many gotchas. I don't know where to start. Well, so but where where do they start then? How do they start and learn about okay, a business plan? How do I? I th- yeah, here's my business plan, and then you're gonna look at that and you're gonna say, no, that's not a business plan. Well, <clears throat> typically what they have is no business plan. Like they don't even know that there is such a thing. And um, I just had a, I had a communication this week from somebody who was looking for advice on printing in China. Um, I don't print in China as a general rule. I have a couple of suppliers who do get their stuff from China, but I don't do uh, my stuff there. So I said, I don't know how to answer your question. But his question was rooted in a much more difficult question, which was, how do I make money in this business? He wants a good price on a short print run of a, uh, a game that he doesn't know that he can sell. And I'm like, well, you are coming at this completely backwards. You shouldn't be trying to print a thousand copies of your game or 500 copies of your game. Cause even if you got a great price on that, your overhead is still going to kill you. The, the amount of advertising and the amount of work that you've already poured into it and everything else, if you tally all that up, you're, you're taking a bath on this. If you can't sell 5,000 of something, why are you even trying? And I suppose I know the answers to these questions. They don't really, want to make money they just want to be published but to do that you can also find a real publisher and not take any of the risk so you said a number there that i want to stop and, and address five thousand copies if you can't sell five thousand copies you should, probably shouldn't be doing this is that i i feel like that's a safe number i mean <clears throat> it depends of course on how big your game is and everything else and what you're what you're it's hard to just pull a number out of thin air but but one thousand seems like so little when you when you look at what Let's say his game is $25, and he's probably making it for 15% of that. He's probably going to sell it for, for, you know, if he's selling it in a distribution, he's selling it for, if he's lucky, 40% of that. So that means that his cut is, uh, what did I just come to? 25% of $25 times 1000 right? So That's... That doesn't pay you for six months. That doesn't, I mean, even if, if you, even if you get to keep all of that, even if your art was free, even if your advertising was free... You can't live on that, and so. But even at five thousand copies, you really can't live on it. Which no, you're right. But uh, but but you can at least get a unit price that's going to be reasonable, right? You start to bring that, and then we introduce the concept then of the long tail that I've had on the show before. Aldo Giazzi has talked about it that you need to feed the beast. What you've done, Kickstarters, is those start to get into distribution. They start bringing in the money, and we're talking about five thousand copies over the life of the game, or over what time of p- time period? 
I would hope you would run through that inventory in two years, right? Okay. I don't, right. I don't want to stack a bunch of tails and hope that they all pay me because those tails get thin really fast. They in do. the in the sort of if your plan is to sell most of your uh, uh, product through hobby retail, those retailers typically never reorder something. They will make their initial order and then never buy it again. So that tail is pretty thin. You're now going out on over Amazon or or you know direct sales over your website, and I don't I don't know. I mean, it it it, it could take you a long time to go through that stuff. No, that's you're bringing up a very valid point. Is that we because we get caught up by the outliers, the hits, the gloom havens of the world that suddenly put their project out there, have thirty thousand backers, and are making three and a half million dollars, and you're like, oh yeah, it's easy. I'll put it out there, but. What you're pointing out is that no retailers are going to buy a game, maybe maybe order it one more time, maybe, and then you're just kind of sitting on that. Yeah, if they sell through it, they consider it a win. They're not going to buy it again unless they need customers in their store rattling their cage to buy it again before they even consider it. And that means you have spent a lot more than your – I just did the math. Your $6,000 uh, profit. You have spent a lot more than that on marketing that game at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that means going to trade shows, getting in front of it, doing playtesting, sending out demo copies, getting all those things that you need to do, all of right. those costs that are associated with well, that. Well, and all of those things that an established game publisher already has the, the, the infrastructure in place for. So that's why anybody who really just wants to be a game inventor, unless you like businesses a lot more than you like, like games, don't start a game business. Find someone else who has one, right? That's a very valid point. And I often say, do you want to be a designer or do you want to be a publisher? Because it's very hard to do both. Right, and I want to do both. That's that's my job, and that's my my training. So, like, I'm okay with that. But but I think most of the hobbyists kind of just are are just jumping into the water. They don't know how deep it is. They like to they like to play games, and so they've made a game, and now they're uh, playing games with their buddies. Well, like you said about being exposed to the most successful things, like I think that's true in game design in general. I talk to designers, and they they want to invent a retail product, and I tell them that's that's what you've been exposed to, but it isn't necessarily what you have to do. Don't. If you just want to invent a game, don't think about how to sell it. Don't bother trying to sell it. Just invent a few games. And let the considerations of the market inform your 10th design, and, and then you'll kind of have some chops and not worry about it on your first time through. Is that, kind of, is that how you feel that, you, that your success was found that way? By uh, creating just games, not even worry about it, just making games? I think, well, there's, I, I make products. That's that's one of the sort of uh, unfortunate aspects of my job is that I do make games for my own entertainment. But the things you see that I have made for sale are products. They are games that I know how to sell. Um, like TAC is a good example. We did TAC last year, and it's a pure abstract strategy game, which is you know like chess. Who can sell a new chess? It's very rare that I get an opportunity to design a game like that, and I like designing games like that. But without a really powerful license attached to it, I would have no way to sell it i'd have no way to convince people even to try it um so so we got very successful very lucky with tack because patrick rothfuss is a huge draw and uh and it's the it's the rare chance that i have to actually work in a space that i usually just don't even walk into so speaking of tack and and working with a game designer people there are people out here listening right now who are like okay i've got this great game you've convinced me not to try to sell it myself i want james ernest to look at it and i want cheap ass games to print it What's your advice at that point? <laughs> well, it's nice to want things, but what you want to do is look for publishers who have submission guidelines and find out what they are. Cheap ass games doesn't take submissions, but plenty of other publishers do. And there are there may even be business people out there who don't make games yet, but want to get into that end of the business who will come and help you do this. Like there's all kinds of ways to do that. But but I would say if you want to find a publisher 
that's right for your product, write to that publisher, ask them what their submission guidelines are. Some people only take it in certain forms. Some people only take it at certain times of the year because they have a sort of review cycle. Um, it's, it's all different. And it's just a matter of asking because they're all very friendly. I mean, I will give you a very friendly answer. My answer is I don't take submissions, but, but <laughs> you'll deliver it in a friendly manner, right? That's right. <laughs> That's right. What is your favorite game? Poker. Yeah. Poker. Yeah, for, um, poker for money. Yes, that is that is what that that's what that word means. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no real way to add up favorites except how much time I spend playing, and and I certainly have a weekly poker night at my house, and I have for 20 years. So, so uh, it's is, is Magic the Gathering just a, a different version of poker? Nope. Um, and what I mean by uh, that is that you have a 20 years playing that same game over and over again. Do uh, is there a mentality in like Magic the Gathering you've been involved with where it becomes a for some people a sport or a competition? I, well, I think that's true, but but I mean, you're asking a game designer if poker and Magic are the same game, so of course the answer is going to be no. But um, but I mean, I I love Magic. I have a huge respect for Magic. Magic taught me a lot about how to build games. Like when I was just getting started making board games, everything I learned about building decks for Magic helped me build decks for games like Kill Doctor Lucky. But um, I haven't played that game in a very long time. The rules have sort of changed the, in ways that I don't know. Uh, I sat down actually with Peter Atkinson, and this was probably 10 years ago, and we sat down to play Magic together, and we were both just like, wait, what are the rules now? <laughs> like, the first player doesn't draw? That's new. So, uh, and so, so yeah, that can get away from you. And Peter has been on the show, and so uh, way back when we first started. So it's nice to uh, see that even sometimes the uh, – the, the old salts uh, sometimes struggle with uh, some of the new things that they're trying yeah, to do. We had with. a great time, but part of the great time we had was going, what is this? Right. <laughs> Completely different. Well, we've only got a couple of minutes, and, and I appreciate you taking the time. And is it okay if we just – there's some uh, – just chat afterwards for our Patreon yeah, backers? For sure. So as we wrap up, as you get ready to take Buttonman uh, to Kickstarter – is there any advice that we can give to somebody who's listening that is looking at you? They see somebody who's been successful now and they kind of want to say, I like what you're doing and I want to do that. And what advice do we give to them? We talked about the business plan, but what advice do we give to them? I think success on Kickstarter has a lot to do with with, um, uh, that is to say, if you're not famous, find someone who is and, uh, crowdfunding starts with crowd and ends with funding. If, if you don't know how you are personally reaching out to, enough people to to see and fund your product then you need to to partner with someone who is we've done the most successful projects partnering with the most uh famous people the, the patrick rothfuss has the greatest reach um <clears throat> he brought a lot of people to our pairs campaign he brought obviously a huge amount of people to our attack campaign but we've also worked with uh just involving well-known people to be elements of the game we got a lot of our friends who are, are have audiences of their own to be murderers in Kill Dr. Lucky, and uh, and that helped out. Phil Folio, of course, is in that, and, and we're hoping to do another game with him shortly. Um, okay. So if, you know, people roll their eyes and say, you, you're you only successful on Kickstarter if you're famous, and that's unfortunate that it works like everything else, but if you are not famous, get a friend who is, and, and then try again. James, thank you very much for your time. This has been great. Sure, thanks for having me. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest is James Ernest from Cheap Ass Games. His game his, on Kickstarter is Button Men, going live in end of April, April 25th. You can go out there and find it. If not, go visit his website, cheapass.com. 
James has been a great guest. If you're a Patreon backer, stick around. Join us on Patreon. James and I are going to have a little conversation. Thanks for listening. Take care.